0: It's Simon. You know, I've always wanted this podcast turning the tables to reach out to as many people as possible across a broad range and types of adversity. Life challenges, of course, come in all shapes and sizes. So I'm delighted to welcome Ozlem Ozkan. Ozlem was born to Turkish parents but brought up in the Netherlands. Ozlem's story is one of the struggle of identity, torn between the traditional Turkish parenting approach and values, and the more independent, egalitarian culture of Dutch society.
1: But for such a long time, I really battled with it. I did not know who I was. I was like, am I the Turkish girl or am I the Dutch girl? Am I the Muslim girl or am I the non-Muslim girl in a Christian or atheist society?
0: As a teenager growing up, this created a heady cocktail of anxiety, self-doubt and self-analysis.
1: I I was scared to tell other people about how I felt. Uh, I thought I'm a failure. I thought I am... A uh, fraud. I, bit, I didn't know what a fraud was actually back then. I was so much busy with my narrative, like, I can't do it. I was, you know, I just even get emotional by telling it now. I, I was always thinking, I'm not confident.
0: Despite this, now as a woman, entrepreneur, author, podcaster, and coach, Oslam has navigated a course to a happier, more self-assured place. Today, Oslam uses her experience to do what she loves most, helping other people transform and find their true fulfilment. We started our conversation talking about those early years of her upbringing. I mean, a good place to start would be you telling us a little bit about, you know, your life, your background, your background. What got you to where you are today? Yeah,
1: what got me to where I am today? So today (laughs) I am here in Amsterdam, but I was at different, different places. So what got me here is actually um, the way that my parents came to the Netherlands from this very little village from Turkey. So they came here in the 70s, 80s, my granddad in the 60s. And they left their very traditional primitive life and came into the West, the Netherlands. Totally different culture. And they wanted to also hold on to their culture that they grew up with. But while the Turkish culture was evolving, changing over the years, what they knew about the Turkish culture was the culture in that village so they came in the netherlands we were born and my parents it was for them very important that we studied a lot because they could not study they are both primary school educated it was not in their culture that you you know even kids mostly were created in order to send them to the land to work you know the more people we have the more labor we can do And so I grew up with two cultures, the very traditional culture, Turkish at home, the very Dutch Western culture at school, outside, most of the places where I go out of the house. And this sounds actually for for a person in her 30s or for maybe for you or for anyone that is listening for you, amazing, beautiful, what a richness, what a wealth. I agree with that now. I started (laughs) agreeing with it after I turned 30, actually. But for such a long time, I really battled with it. I did not know who I was. I was like, am I the Turkish girl or am I the Dutch girl? Am I the Muslim girl or am I the non-Muslim girl? in, In a Christian or atheist society.
0: I was just going to say, why did your parents move to Holland? What was the
1: initially? My granddad in '68, he literally moved to earn money in any company he was going to work or factory, better to say, and uh, to and to buy with that money a, a bigger piece of land in Turkey. So when he came here, he didn't know that he was actually going to stay for a few years. When he saw, when he noticed that he could actually earn a lot of money by working at the Dutch Railways, he started working at Dutch, for the Dutch Railways, he thought, oh, I need to also bring my older son and my wife here. They can also work, so we can actually earn more and we can buy a bigger piece of land. Maybe it's even in the you know, human being side. Once you get something, you want a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So then my uh, uh, uncle and my grandma came and then it was my dad came and my uh, other uh, uncle came. And then they were with uh, five of them in the house. But my uncle married and, you know, my my dad got married and both they got married to two uh, girls from the same village. same environment where they were from in turkey they did not marry with a dutch girl who here so and that was their that was their culture where they grew up with and i am super super privileged that what i feel to have and had an amazing education in the netherlands unpaid free not because i had a scholarship but because everyone has it so yeah, we, 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 we started studying and that was for my parents the biggest, biggest aim. But what they did not, in my opinion, foresee was when you study, you get to know new things. You get to know new lives. You get to know new experiences. They did not foresee that. So when, when we were studying... We met so many different people, so many different cultures, and we are also interested in that. And for my parents at that time, you know, they also have evolved. It was not, you know, that they are still staying uh, as that. But to give you a very a short example, or a very little one, when my classmates went on a camp when they were 13, I could not go because girls do not go to a camp. They do not sleep in a tent. What can happen there? You know, girls need to protect themselves. And in a Dutch society, especially the Dutch society, a woman very
0: much the opposite.
1: (laughs) Equal and even like, even, I'm not,
0: free love.
1: (laughs) Yourself, everything. (laughs) And that was totally the opposite, Simon. You know, I did not go out till I was 24 years old till I left the house of my parents. And for as an outsider, you know, uh, I did, I studied, I did my bachelor master and study was my refuge in a way I could do. That was my playing area. I could do there anything because also my parents didn't understand it. They did not have that experience so for me, I was playing there all in. But I have kind of two identities. One identity, the girl, that is super serious, studying outside, also super extroverted, social, and do, does so many, many things. But on the other side, at home, I was a person that was internalizing a lot of things. You know, there was not that much room in our household, unfortunately, that we um, showed emotions, feelings. What do we feel, actually? Uh, like, for example, you don't have something for an exam. What happened then? You know, is there anxiety going on or something? And we, we, we never talked about this. So, And because I internalized, because I had also this other life at home, I did not really trust anyone out of my house to tell anyone. So I never told anyone. And there was only one thing, it's not a person, (laughs) that I told. And that was my diary.
0: I was going to say, Oslam, when you were actually in growing up, when you were actually through those teenage years where you were going... Were you aware of this issue or is it something you're now looking back on and saying it's starting to make sense of the things that happened or the way I felt at that time? Or were you very present and aware that this of this sort of gulf um, at the time?
1: No, I was not present at all. <laughs> I was not aware <laughs> at all. I was just here in my head. I was just here in my head. Uh, I really, honestly thought, you know, the, the, how beautiful I talk now about my parents. They gave me the support and all. They were there for me, eh? you know, because uh, they feed, they fed us, and they made sure we had good clothes. They made sure we were warm. They made sure we had we could study. But back then, I didn't like it at all. I was like, why can't I go to camp? Why can't I go out? Why can't my brother go out? And I can't. That was a big thing for me. And that made me internalize many, many things. Like, I I was scared to tell other people about how I felt. Uh, I thought I'm a failure. I thought I am a fraud. I, I didn't know what a fraud was actually back then. You know? I came at school, I came to school, I had all these 10 out of 10s. But from inside, I was so anxious that I won't get a good score on the exam. All my sales pitches, you know, when, since I was 14, I worked in the sales. People where I have worked were always super happy with me. You get the best clients in. Whoa, I don't know what you do. And I didn't learn it from the books. Eh? It just how I am. But honestly saying each sales pitch, each sales meeting I entered in, I was super anxious. I was so much busy with my narrative, like I can't do it. I was, you know, I just even get emotional by telling it now. I, I was always thinking I'm not confident. And I have to say that I did not really get when I was growing up affirmations like of, you know, you get from your affirmation. Yeah, go for it. You have a nine out. Well done. Really good. This is uh, you make a mistake. That's okay Just keep going. I really did not have anyone for this. Like, think about there are two personas, the uslam which you see now and um, a shadow uslam, which is actually thinking, I can't do this. I am super scared. I'm so scared that I will fall and that no one will um, catch me. Really. Like I was super scared, but regardless of that, I thought I need to do it. Listen, I almost want to cry here. Really? I'm just, I really want to cry because I find it difficult. I didn't say that. I was like, oh yeah, I'll do it. And everyone thought, this girl is on fire. <laughs> she she does it. The the paradox is, okay, I did it. Okay, I came somewhere, but it was really a struggle. A struggle like the book um, I have written, the student, and I have written about so many vulnerable topics. Which I was scared to just tell anyone, even a close friend. Just very, you know. And now I have written it and it's just out there and it feels such, so much, Simon. Uh,
0: <sighs> it sounds like it was a, it's almost like a cath- cathartic experience. It's that you've, it's sort of let out all, all of that frustration and anxiety that was built up inside you, you found a a medium to be able to let it out.
1: Yeah, I I already did it in my diaries, but with this, I let it out. But, you know, in my diaries initially, I wrote a lot about what we're not good how bad my parents were to me or how the person I loved so much left me or where I wasn't even interested in me. Uh, you know, I was the person because I, did, I felt like I don't feel support. It's my parents. It's this person. It's this professor. It's this teacher. It's this ex. It's this friend, which creates... The way I am, because of him, I got this. Because of her, I couldn't do it. And and what it made with me, you, you know, you, be, you get in a reaction mode then. And I was like, oh, you tell me I can't? I'll show you I can. <laughs> but that was also became, first it was my power, also a drive. But then it became something where I felt I'm not at integrity with myself because maybe I don't even want to do it. I just do it because of to react to others.
0: Almost like, uh, I was going to say, it sounds like it's a sort of negative energy that was driving you.
1: Fear, insecurity, fear, these two. That was the whole, whole thing. So when I left... uh, the Netherlands, I, I, after I graduated school, I moved to Istanbul for only seven weeks, which I stayed for five years. There, you know, I was out of my safe, known, comfortable area. And then I started seeing myself. Who am I? I started looking in the mirror. No one is around. Oh, but no one stops you actually with things. Why don't you do it? No one is stopping you. Why don't you do it? No, actually, I was, you know, inside fearful. So uh, I I lived there five years. And then when I got back, I I started reading a lot of self-help books, spiritual books, different religion, religious books, you know, the Bible I read, the Quran. I started reading a lot about uh, uh, Rumi. So I really went fully inside.
0: I imagine that many people go a large portion of their lifetime without, without going through that degree of self-analysis because they haven't had that challenge really presented to them. I mean, what you've described, I imagine now happens to Many more people around the world because we are fundamentally so, so much more multicultural now that it, it probably happens, you know, many times for people. But you've had that raw experience, haven't you, of of those two extremes and and the impact that it had on you in in your life. So when you when you went to Istanbul, was that the moment when this really became? An issue or were, were there any other moments where suddenly this became you know something dramatic happened as a result of this dichotomy you had between you know your upbringing and, and your new your life now
1: that's a very very good question thank you for asking that actually Istanbul was not the place because what happened in Istanbul very shortly was how the way I was in the Netherlands you know only studying, no fun things. Let's say that. <laughs> In Istanbul, I went out on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I started drinking. Life was fun.
0: Like anyone of that age would do. I mean, there's nothing abnormal about that. That was, that was what, what young people do, isn't it? I
1: just wanted to discover <laughs> that was my <laughs> life about. I was working too, you know, but maybe I was having more fun than working but then I wanted to take a little bit of a step back back at that time I started dating a guy which I really loved a lot and um, if we talk about adversity I think uh, we date around two years something like that and when he broke up I was just done done in a way of like I was just down, rock bottom. Um, That was kind of the trigger for me, like, who am I? Really, who am I really? Because when he was not in the game anymore or in that, I felt... I felt kind of no one or something. That was the way I was because when I was with him, he created my happiness. I felt like I need him in order to be happy. I need him in order to feel this. You know, it was from a very needy point of view, but still trying to act as cool as I can. You know, I don't need you.
0: That's very understandable, isn't it, really? Given given your, your upbringing. And the fact that you didn't get that over love that obviously you needed, it's, it's quite understandable Then when you found someone who obviously you felt very strongly about, it really started to fill that void. And so I imagine then, as you say, the breakup must have been very hard for you.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was one of the most painful moments in my life. I didn't know that I was going to bring this up here. But yeah, it was really, really painful. Like I, I was, I, 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 you know, the, the person in that case, I also trusted so much, so, so much. Uh, maybe even more than myself, more than anyone at that, you know, when we were dating, having this relationship, but he wasn't there anymore. And, you know, usually when you are together and you are in such a pain, your partner is there for you, and uh, but you, there's no partner there then for you, and that was such a big thing for me. Uh, I'm not sure if it was for him too. Maybe not. I don't know. But it was for me such a big thing, and that took me four years. Actually, I didn't date anyone the, the after that two or three years. I didn't have even dates. <laughs> I was. I don't want anyone. I don't I was so busy with trying to discover who I was and what I have learned Simon is I did not love myself enough that's what I have discovered I was seeking for love from other people and in this case it was from him but also in my other activities you know like I don't know work or friends Like trying to avoid disapproval, seeking for approval. So I get loved by the people around me. So I decided that was a deliberate choice. I'm not going to date anyone. I want to solve this myself. I don't want to jump in someone and and any other relationship where the voids or the emptiness can be filled by someone else. I just want to learn who I am. and and what I am and I also learned that was the funniest not funniest but it was interesting part it wasn't even about him nothing was about him but it was the void in me the emptiness in me and he also even didn't do he might have done wrong things that's his own business that he needs to deal with or not But I was like, I'm going to look inside. What did I do? What happened? And I I write about it actually in chapter 10, Transformation. So just a little piece. I was at the end of my 20s and angry at myself that I had held out my hand to someone who had not want to hold it. So I looked back at my life. What was my whole life about? As a teenager, I thought... I had to figure it all out by reaching the age of 30, being married, with the love of my life, owning property, having plenty of cash in my bank account, and having at least one child. And here I was. I just came out of a relationship, moved back to Amsterdam from living in Istanbul, did not own any property or have plenty plenty of cash, and I did not have children. While crying myself to sleep became a habitual night routine, the pain of the breakup swallowed me each day a little bit more with the expanding story I created in my mind. I felt like a victim and I started taking refuge in writing, calligraphy, nature and started turning my attention to nature and people that provided me with unconditional love. While grief, sadness and anger alternated for a period of time in my whole being, I eventually came to a point where I realized that falling in love and even maybe feeling lost in someone was a necessary experience in order to connect to my true power and transform myself.
0: It's interesting because I I can sort of feel talking to you how much... It seems as if the book and that process, as we mentioned a bit earlier, has almost changed you in in the fact that you're able to get out those things that, as you say, were sort of hidden in your diary. So, I mean, they were literally hidden within you, weren't they? No one knew that. And that somehow or other, as we said, it's almost like that cathartic experience of being able to manifest all your feelings and and therefore i guess when you write a book i've never written a book but when you write a book it somehow or other legitimizes all those feelings it means they're they were real and and you were not alone
1: actually the, the funny part is this eh, um, simon at the end of the book i want to write one little paragraph but i wasn't sure if the audience was gonna understand it but i was gonna write this this is a story that I have created in my mind. But don't forget, it's only a story I have created in my mind. So you can actually also throw it in the rubbish. Because you are not, there's a one spiritual teacher, which I really admire. He says, you cannot change your past, but you can change the story you tell about your past. And my story is everything here. My darkness, my light, my parents, the places I lived, the people I interacted with, the old bad things I have done, the good things I have done, had to happen in order to make me sit here now today with you and be this person with saying, this is maybe the first time I can say this. Simon, this is me. I am this
0: yeah no that's very that's very powerful and i guess the truth is we all we all have a narrative a story in our minds about our lives and and, and that's the reality really so your, your story is the reality for you um it was how you experienced your life and i and i imagine many people reading the book will relate to it because i'm sure those feelings are very prevalent you know in, in in many circumstances perhaps in different ways but this whole narrative of growing up not understanding exactly who you were the why you were the way you were why people treated you the way they did as you as you said now it's very easy to go back and observe that and say well of course in reality my parents loved me they were trying to do the best for me you know what actually the issue here was a cultural divide which caused this sort of friction for me growing up but that's in retrospect when you're actually living in it it's a very different experience isn't it well as you as you've told
1: so theory and practice are so much from different dimensions even like you know you you can tell me an um, experience that you have gone through your experience and I can understand it, what you're saying. I can try to put myself in your shoes, but I will never experience the same thing because I was not you, your consciousness. I wasn't that. Even if if we had gone through similar things, similar in a way like we had a, I don't know, car accident. This happened. I had the same. Okay. But you still... Experience it's in your own unique way, then I do it. And then I interrupt and say, like, but no, but that's not like that. If that's your experience and unique.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So bring us up to where you are now, you, you said you really feel like you know yourself. What it what are you today? How would you describe yourself as a person today?
1: So what am I today? (laughs) I feel the person I am today is a real person, not extraordinary or only just a person trying to do her best, trying to do also her best to contribute to the world in her own unique way, still with insecurities, also the confident side. Mm. I'm, I know that I'm also confident but I at moments sometimes not but I also accept that. you know in the past I resisted that. no no, no I have to be a confident no I'm, okay no, I'm not fine. And a person that is wanting to be also a, really an integrity with myself, which I also can spread to other people, and what I truly believe and what I really want to spread, Simon, is if I light up myself here, if I start here, people might think it's about you. No, because if I light up myself, if I shine, I will make other people shine too. And my purpose is, since I was a child, I want to help people. That's what I like. I want to support people in their own unique way. They don't need to be d- confident of Islam. They need to be their confident themselves, their selves. And that's why I also started the Bridging Podcast. Yes, which we have different guests from different uh, places of the world. Which is a very deliberate choice, also to really um, get that cultural diversity. Um, about entrepreneurship, personal development, personal growth, uh, self-empowerment, and cultural diversity. We we talk about these topics. And I'm interested in bringing my audience someone with a totally new viewpoint, different viewpoint, which might not fit with the viewpoint of the audience, but they learn something new that's really what I want to create and also um, I just recently started um, coaching coaching people to stand there uh, in their own uh, power, really unlock, unlock their full potential. So uh, what we do there is we are really looking at what what is the situation that they are experiencing what do they experience and what kind of limiting beliefs are uh, underneath? We're gonna explore that together. I'm not gonna tell them you have this, then they will tell me by asking the right questions. And then from there, we're gonna to go to how do we process these limiting beliefs? Because you can push them away, but then they will come back. But how do we actually process them and process them and integrate them in our systems? And then how do we actually create the reality? we want i'm not talking about reality only about things we can see like let's create a house let's create i don't know money can be too. it depends on what people want but more like i want to just go to work and feel happy every morning and say i love this how do we do that what kind of beliefs can you create in order to create that experience so uh, yeah i uh I want to help people.
0: So obviously you've written the book, The Student. You've got your podcast, Bridging. And obviously they are, you know, very creative pursuits and they're putting your view out there and and your perspective. As you look back on your experience growing up and this challenge that you had to overcome about identity, what would you say you've learned now that's influencing the, the way you you are today as a result of what
1: I have learned now is my power is in me is only in me that does not mean I don't need people around me I can do it all myself I don't want anyone in my life that it doesn't mean that but from here I can create
0: anything well it's been great talking to you and and thank you so much for sharing your experience and obviously being so open and and honest about about your life and wish you the very best with your book and your podcast and of course i will leave all the the links in the show notes thank you
1: so much, simon this was such an amazing conversation and really great questions
0: I'm sure the challenges Özlem talked about as she grew up are faced by many people who share a diversity of cultural identity. In the end, Oslam has turned that angst she suffered into a catalyst for transformation and growth. As cultural diversity and identity become more prevalent across our society, Özlem's story gives us a unique perspective. Her story also shows us how ultimately this struggle can become a force for good. You can find the links to Oslam's Bridging Podcast, her book The Student and her new coaching courses in the show notes. Before we close, I wanted to share an announcement about a new three-part mini-series coming up next on Turning the Tables, looking at mental health. I'm delighted to be partnering with the Alliance of Independent Agencies, an organisation representing independent advertising and communication businesses in the UK. The Alliance is committed to promoting and facilitating people's well-being and mental health in the independent agency world. As someone who has spent a career in advertising and suffered mental health challenges myself, This is a subject dear to my heart. The mini-series will feature Adam Rubin, previously marketing director at the Walt Disney Company, CEO of the agency Way to Blue, and now consultant and founder of The Arc. Dr. Liz Miller, a physician, surgeon, campaigner and writer, noted for her outspoken stance on mental and bipolar disorder. In 2008, Liz was voted Mind Champion of the Year by public vote. The series will reveal the stories and insights about the adversity of mental health challenges and how they've been channeled to drive positive change. So please subscribe to Turning the Tables on your favourite podcast channel to be sure to catch the series. Until next time, go safely.